Okay, due to all the suffering and distress that I've noticed over the last few weeks here in our church family, I want to uh, begin my sermon this morning by reading a hymn to you. You probably know it. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy, thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. What a beautiful reminder to us today. A reminder of how firm a foundation we have in God's sovereign mercy and grace. The scripture teaches us that nothing can shake us from his hand. His hand of mercy and grace. Not even difficulties. Not even trials and distress that come into our lives. And we know that those are realities for us. In this fallen world, we live in a sin cursed world where trials and difficulties will come and distress is ever present. But aren't you glad to know, as the hymn writer knew, that God will even use what is broken in this world for our good and his glory? Aren't you glad to know that this morning? And I hope you know that. I hope you realize as a Christian that even the distress and the difficulties in life are part of God's good and divine design for your life. So today what I want to do is I want us to examine what distress is meant to accomplish in the Christian's life, in the believer's life. And for us to see that, I want to take you to a place that is a favorite of mine. I want you to take you to a place in the Psalms that I take great comfort in often. And there I want to show you God's design for distress in the life of King David. So please turn with me to Psalm 116. I pray that this will bring you comfort this morning as you prepare for distress or are going through distress right now. Let me give you a little bit of history about this text before we actually get into it as you're turning there. The background of this psalm most likely comes from King David's struggle with his son Absalom. That son is the one who betrayed him and tried to overthrow David's kingdom, overthrow the throne. Previous to this, Absalom had taken vengeance on his brother. He had killed his own brother because his brother had violated their sister, Tamar. And after he had done this, after he had set about this plan to take vengeance upon his brother and have him put to death, Absalom then fled out of fear, and remained hidden for some time in the wilderness. And all the time he was there in the wilderness, you need to understand this is what's going on. He is bitterly plotting against his father, who he esteemed did not act quick enough to take up vengeance for his sister. And during this time, Absalom's pride-filled, bitter heart was driven. It was driven to think that I can do a better job of ruling the kingdom than my father. And so he began to actually conspire with others to overthrow David and even have David put to death. He even conspired with some of David's closest friends and subjects to basically undermine David's authority slowly and then ultimately try to set him up to be physically destroyed. 
so that Absalom could take his place. This is all going on behind the scenes, I believe, in this psalm that we read today. During this time, when Absalom rose up against him and gathered these conspirators and went after the throne, David had to flee the throne to save his own life. That's what I believe Psalm 116 is referring to. During this time, David became a fugitive in his own kingdom. He was a man now with no home, no kingdom, no place to go. He had to hide in caves and mountaintops. He had very few people he could trust around him. And he was even being pursued like an animal by his own son. And it was now, during this time of great distress, that King David was, by God's design, humbled and revived. Because through this, God reminded David that his strength and his peace in life depended on God alone, on God's mercy and God's grace, not his own strength, not his own power. So now in this psalm, we begin to see an illustration, I think, of how God uses distress, difficulty in the life of his people for our good and for God's glory. I think this psalm is meant to remind us that we don't have to grow weary when distress comes. And and we do grow weary at times, do we not? And trust me, if you're not experiencing distress now, it's coming. And you will grow weary. But this psalm tells us something comforting. It tells us that God has not abandoned us in the midst of times of distress. He is actively at work to bring about our good and his glory. We know that in this sin-cursed world, there's going to be distress. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be pain. Distress will reign on the just and the unjust alike in this world because of sin. But we as Christians can know without a doubt that behind every frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. God is in control. That truth is at the heart of David's song in 116 verses 1 to 9, which we'll look at today. Listen to the text. Remember what's going on in his heart as we read this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Yahweh, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. He rescued me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Here we can see that God's design for distress in our life is meant to do two things in particular. It is meant to, number one, produce humble confidence in God's mercy, verses 1 to 4. And this design for distress is also meant to produce joyful reverence for God's grace, as you see David express in verses 5 to 9. In verses 1 to 4, we can see this. We can see that God's design for distress in our life is meant to produce humble confidence in God's mercy. Look at verse 1 again. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Here David is humbly overwhelmed that God hears the pleas of sinners like himself. He is amazed because he knows that God is full of tender mercy toward his people. And he hears them even though they are yet not perfectly righteous. That they still struggle with sins. 
David knew what that was like. David had experienced the mercy of God personally. He can recall his sins with Bathsheba. He can recall that he deserved not mercy, but justice. He deserved to die. But yet God still hears him out of mercy, not giving him what he deserved, but giving him what he cannot earn, which is grace. And I think in reading that, we should all be a little bit overwhelmed right here as we think about how God hears our prayers. Not one of us are righteous. Not one of us are right in God's sight on our own. Yet he hears our pleas. He hears our cries for help. We should be humbly overwhelmed by this today. Let me just begin by asking you this. Are you? Are you humbly overwhelmed that God hears all your cries for help? Does that Flood your soul like it did David. Does it thrill your mind to think that you can come to God constantly because he has set his love on you and you are his? It should humbly overwhelm us when we consider that God the Father sent God the Son to come into the world to intercede for us personally. And then consider this, that God the Holy Spirit is now still actively interceding for us, even though we are still struggling with sin. He is working on our behalf for our good. He hears our cries. Don't you ever feel that when you, you pray and you know you've, you've been in sin or you have offended God in some way and you feel like I can't really come to him because of the sin, but then the Holy Spirit brings conviction and comfort and you can't say anything to express how you hate this. It's just so deep in you. You just groan and you just pray. You ask God, you know my heart, please hear my cry. We can do that and we should be humbly overwhelmed by it. Paul the Apostle was actually overwhelmed by that look with me at eight at romans 8 romans eight twenty six, as he wrote this i believe that as he flows out of chapter 7 confessing his own struggle with sin he comes to this with great comfort knowing that god is interceding for him even when he is not yet perfected even when he is still struggling even when he's in times of moral distress or personal distress In 8.26 it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, the human spirit, that is, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Of God. Now, does that comfort you this morning? That's what David is rejoicing over in verse 1 of Psalm 116. He's rejoicing over this, saints. He's rejoicing that at times when he's facing great distress and anxiety, and it may be more than he could ever imagine that he could ever go through on his own, he knows that he's not going through it on his own. He's going through it with God. And there are times when you're so overwhelmed by distress in your life, that you don't think you can make it another moment. You don't have words to say. You can't express what's really deep in your heart. But here we see that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and that God is hearing the groanings of our hearts in those times of distress. And sometimes God even hears nothing more than the sound of our tears flowing down our face as we weep over the sins in our heart, over the struggles in our life, over the fears and anxieties that seem to take hold of us. But what we need to know, according to Paul and according to David in the Psalms, God is listening. God is interceding. He is with us in the distress. And he has a good and divine plan for that distress. Even when our distress is even self-inflicted, as I said, due to our own sin, God still hears our pleas for help. And that's something that should comfort you. Because there are times, as I said, you feel like you can't come to God in those moments. And if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, 
He is going to draw you and he is going to intercede for you. He's going to cultivate conviction and repentance in you. And he's, going to, he's not going to waste your distress. He's not going to waste your suffering in those moments. He's going to use it to sanctify you. He hears and he knows what you need, even though you can't express it with words. And he is actively at work for your good, even in the moments of distress. Our suffering is meant to be a sanctifying gift designed by God to humble us and to turn our hearts to the one who we can rely on when all of our strengths in life fail. And they will fail. They will fail. They are meant to turn our hearts to God, humble our souls, and confess we need his help. So many times we try to make it through life on our own. And saints, we don't need to. And we can't do it anyway. God is saying, cry out to me. Turn to me in your humility. Turn to me and I will answer you. That's what it says in Isaiah 66. You don't have to turn there. Basically, Isaiah reinforces the truth of what we saw there in 116.1 of the psalm. God tells us there that he's going to answer the humble and contrite in spirit. Those who tremble or turn to his word, tremble at his word. And that's what David is doing in the midst of his distress. He's turning to God. He's being humbled through this distress. And when David turns to God, the reality of this statement there in Isaiah 66 becomes the confidence of his plea. I can come to God when I see my inability, when I see that he is humbling me. I can come because I am brought low and now I can look up and know that he is there. Now I have confidence. I have humble confidence to come to God and plea for mercy, for our God is full of loving kindness. He is at work for our good and for his glory. Now go back to Psalm 116, verse 2. Here David expresses humble confidence when he writes, he, speaking of God, he inclined his ear to me. <laughs> if you understood those few words you would be absolutely amazed at this. He inclined his ear to me. Inclined means leaned or leaned forward or leaned downward, meaning he comes down to our level as a father to a child. He comes near to us and he says, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. I have confidence because he is for me. He is my father. He's leaning toward me in this time of distress. I love the Lord because he hears me. He leans toward me. He's inclined to come near me in these times of distress. Now, are you beginning to see a design here? Distress reminds us that, that God eagerly is leaning close to care for us. God leans closely to hear our cries for help. He is not a distant deity. And we know that for certain in the New Testament, do we not? We know that because God sent His Son to deliver us from eternal distress by incarnating His mercy at the cross. Not giving us what we deserve, but opening up a channel for us to come before him as children of God. On the cross, Jesus received what we deserved. He received what we deserved. And by doing this, by taking our place, Jesus eternally captured the ear of God the Father for us. So we can cry out in times of distress, like the psalmist. This is a humbling confidence. We need to come to it with humility, but we need to come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in the time of need because it's there. We need to come knowing that we have now gained full access to God's heart through Jesus Christ, his son, who is the expression of his mercy. Just think about it, saints. We don't come before God as strangers. We come before God as adopted children, we come to him as our father. We are his blood-bought children. 
And, and think about this humanly for a second. Sometimes we, we, we wait to come to God until the last moment. We wait until we try to work out all of our plans before we go to God crying out for his help. Why would we do that if he is a good father? Your children don't do that with you as parents. Parents want to hear the cry of their children when their children come to them and say, I need you. That pleases a parent. We're there to care for them. We are there to nurture them. We're there to provide for them. We're there to teach them lessons through those moments. If that's true of us, how much more true is that of God? Our Heavenly Father is much more eager to help us when we humbly cry out in our times of suffering and distress like David did. David goes on to do that more in verses 3 and 4. Look with me at those texts. In this time of despair, David says this, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, the grave, laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish, meaning fear of death came upon him at this time. It came upon him. He says, I suffered distress and anguish. And then verse 4 says, Then, then I called on the name of the Lord. The distress and anguish reminded him of who he was. He was a mere man, though he had been a king. He was desperate. He was destitute. He feared for his own life. But then he called on the name of the Lord. Do you see God's design for distress in this? God's design for David's distress was to humbly turn him back to God for help. Well, why? Well, if you know much about David, you'll know why. David was a powerful king. He was a mighty king. And he was a popular king. He was a strong king, a strong leader. But he was also proud. He was proud. Go back to the story of Bathsheba. He thought he could do as he pleased without God's oversight. And it led to adultery, possibly rape, murder, nearly the loss of the kingdom. He needed to be humbled. And so, because he had grown accustomed to his power and his position and his own strength, God allowed all of that to be stripped away to show David that there was only one true king over Israel. And it was Yahweh. He was the true king. David was his servant, not the ruler, not the one in control. He needed to be humbled because he had forgotten that God was to be his master. And do we ever act like David? Ask yourself that. Do we ever forget as Christians that Jesus is our Lord, the Lord of everything in our life? Do we ever need to be stripped of a few things that we're propping ourselves up with so that we would be remembering what he has done for us and who he truly is? That's the design of distress. I don't want you to misunderstand. Distress in the Christian's life is not punishment. God is not punishing you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have nothing to fear from God's punishment. He will discipline you, though, for your good and for his glory. And distress works like a discipline. It turns our hearts back to what we should be focused on, which would be namely God himself. Distress has a way of reminding you that you're not in control, right? The train has a way of reminding me of that every Sunday. We are not in control. The stress is a good reminder of that. It reminds us that we need God's help desperately every day. And so here's a question for you. When distress comes, what or who do you turn to? What do you trust in when distress comes into your life? Do you trust the world's answers? Do you turn to the professionals? Do you trust your own wisdom and judgments? Do you trust in your own strength to pull yourself out of the situation? Or do you humbly run to God who is able and eager to bring you out 
But first, you must recognize he's in control. Here's what happens in times of distress. I think this is the good design of God. In times of distress, it's kind of like going through a wine press. What's inside those grapes is going to come out. In times of distress, we are pressed into choosing who or what we truly trust in. When your heart is compressed by fear and doubt and even God's discipline, what you trust in most will be squeezed out of you when that pressure is applied. And that is good for us and it does glorify God in the saints' life. So ask yourself this this morning. What do you trust in when everything falls apart in your life? Where do you turn? I know where I turn, and it's not always to the Lord. And I must confess that to God. I'm not in control because the distress keeps on building. I can't turn it back. But where do we turn to? What do we trust in? Let me just ask you to examine your hearts today to think about this. And let's go on and examine David's response when this happened to him. When he was faced with this distress... He had to do what we all need to do. He had to confess that he was powerless. All that he had in life was lost at this moment. And his life was even on the line at this moment. And all the kingly authority in the world could not save him. Only God could rescue him now. See, distress here, distress humbly made King David realize he needed God. Well, that sounds so simplistic. We all need God. We know we need God. Do you live practically like you need God, though? Every day, the decisions you're making, the the things you want in life to pursue, are you submitting them to Jesus as your Lord? Or do you need to remember He is in control? He is God. And do you need to be reminded of that through things like distress? I do. Listen, when things are going well in my life, I might as well be sovereign. I mean, I got it all under control. Things are working out well. I got this pattern of life figured out. And then God, I remember years ago, God brings about a fishing excursion with my middle son, Haddon. Everything seemed normal and great. and It was a wonderful day. Life was wonderful. I was in control, I thought, until a fish hook lands in his eye. And then I cried out for help. I could not save my son. I could not rescue him. I needed God. Distress worked for good in my heart. And I believe it will work for good in your heart. See, distress, even though it came into David's life and caused him to be a fearful fugitive for a while, hiding in these rocks, those rocks that could even become his own grave, distress worked for good, though, because now he recognized that only the king, the savior of man, could rescue him out of this condition. And so there in 4B, David humbly called upon that king, the true king, and he put his trust in God. Look at verse 4B. He says, O Lord, or Yahweh, I pray, deliver my soul. He couldn't deliver his own life at this moment. He certainly couldn't deliver his hope of being able to sustain his life so that he could rule the kingdom again and see God's blessings and promises come through his his lineage. So he is calling upon God. God, I know you've made these promises to me that my greater son would rule the kingdom forever. But if I die, how's that going to happen? So deliver my soul. God, only you can make this happen. Absalom is after me. The whole kingdom has forsaken me. Only you can do this. When we hear this, what we're hearing is is God's design for distress that is producing great humility that we all need as Christians when it comes to God. We need to confess we are His creatures. He is Creator. We derive our hope and our life and our future from Him. We have no ability to guarantee any of those things on our own. And we should be humbled by that inability. We should be humbled by the fact that we cannot save our soul. And we cannot even restore our broken lives on our own. And when we are humbled by that, we then need to turn our hearts back to God 
and know that if we humbly cry out for mercy and grace, he will hear our pleas and answer. Who are we praying to? The one who created everything that we see. Who holds the universe in his hands. Should we take coming to him lightly? We should be humbled and we should be confident. Because we know what kind of God he is. Like I said, he is not a distant deity. He came to us in our need. He inclined himself toward us in Christ to hear our pleas. And that's the kind of response that I think David begins to express here in this next part of the text, in verses 5 to 9. Here we see, really my second point in just a moment, we see that God's design for distress in our life is not only to produce humble dependence or confidence on God's mercy, but secondly, that it is also meant to produce joyful reverence for God's grace. Listen to verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Here, here David is beginning to turn, if you will, in his prayer. Verses 1 to 4 are focused on him. Now he's saying, our God is merciful. Now he's turning to praise. He's breaking out in what I would call reverential praise because God has heard his plea graciously. Let me ask you a question at this point. As you read that verse, does that sound like your prayer life? Do you just break out in praise over the fact that God has mercifully and graciously heard your pleas for help? Does that cultivate joy-driven thanksgiving and praise to God? It should. It might not. And if it does not, why not? Well, maybe it's because we have too low a view of God's characteristics, God's attributes, God himself. Notice what he does here. He lists God's character. He lists this and he responds with praise as he meditates on this. Look at why we should also do that. Look at how we should actually break out in praise over this. Verse 5, again, gracious is the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the savior. He is giving us what we do not deserve. And he's righteous. All that he does is right and holy and just. Yet he hasn't punished me for my sins because Christ has interceded for me. And now I can come to him with confidence, knowing that I have a place at his side in prayer. He will hear me when I call. And our God is merciful, not giving us what we deserve. He should push us far away. That is what begins to turn David's heart from petition to praise in this psalm. David joyfully and reverentially here declares the truth about God's nature as a source of encouragement and comfort. He knows personally that God gives us what we don't deserve, which is his unmerited or undeserved favor. And he knows personally that God doesn't give us what we deserve, his righteous wrath and justice. David was living out that reality. As he looked back on his own life, he recognized, I should have died back then when I sinned with Bathsheba. But God not only sustained my life, he even kept the kingdom together for his namesake. He has given him what he didn't deserve. And he hasn't given him what he did deserve. We need to think about that as we come before God in prayer. And I think it will help us to break out in praise. God used... David's distress to do that. He used it to bring forth a humble confession and a joyful reverence for God's unrelenting grace and mercy, even in the midst of difficulty. Does that happen in your life? If you're going through difficulty, are you meditating on the characteristics and nature of God? And is it causing you to have joy even in the midst of that? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. 
Maybe it's not because you're not meditating on these truths apart from your distress or before distress comes into your life. Maybe if we meditated on those more before distress comes, we have a sure foundation to stand on when distress comes. How do we respond when trials come in, when distress comes in like a flood? Well, it depends on how much we know about God, how much we have grown in the wisdom and knowledge of God, of Christ. We will be able to rejoice in the midst of trials if we know more about the God who is with us in them. We will know that trials come not like a flood to wash us away, but rather to wash us clean, to sanctify our hearts and our minds, to wipe away that which would make us stumble so we would focus on that which is solid. They come not to overcome us, but to sanctify us. Because God is gracious and righteous and merciful, and he sent these distresses into our life for a purpose. That's what I think will change the way we respond when distress comes. David begins to express more of this in Psalm 116.6. It says, the Lord preserves the simple. He's speaking not so much about the mind here as a condition. Those who have everything stripped away, those who are impoverished, if you, if you will. He says, when I was brought low or humbled, he saved or rescued me. The stress squeezed out humility and it squeezed out repentance and it squeezed out praise to God from David's heart. That was why it was sent his way. The trials revealed what was in David's heart. When the trials come to you, what does it reveal about your heart? What do trials reveal about your relationship with God? Do you run to him in those trials? Or do you try to fix them yourselves? Trials are a blessing from God to purify the gold, to take out the dross, to wean us from the love of this world. Let's think about this. When King David reigned in Israel, he reigned supreme. He was the supreme power. But then one of his own sons raised up against him. And now at this time, that betrayal is working together for good in David's heart. At this time of distress, David is now broken before God. His false pride is stripped away, and now he cannot even trust in his own authority. He has to turn to a greater power outside of himself, and that is a good and loving act of God to do that for David. We need to believe that. God lovingly uses distress to humble our hearts to reveal what's inside, to reveal our pride and our need so we would turn to God who is eager, as I said, to hear us and help us in the time of need. Turn with me to Psalm 34 to see that even more clearly. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Wow. God brings distress into our life to show us that no matter what happens, as bad as it gets, You are mine and I will hear you and I will be with you in those moments and I will deliver you from those moments. Eventually, he's going to deliver us from from distress eternally in a place where there'll be no distress. But in the meantime, he's using distress to cultivate confidence in him, rest in him, trust in him. So we should be able to find joy in our distress. We should be able to find joy because our distress points us to our neediness. And we have neediness in our life. We need someone to deliver us. And so our distress turns our eyes off of ourself and onto our sovereign deliverer who is to be honored in every aspect of our life. We see that taking place more so here in Psalm 116, verse 7. Here David cries out with now joy in the midst of distress when he says this, Return, O my soul, to your rest. Why? 
Well, because or for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Well, he has a new perspective on his distress at this moment, doesn't he? He recognized that God is using this trial to refresh his memory, to reunite him to God, to bring him hope. Rest, he says here, comes from distress because it reminds us of the God who is abundant in grace. He is bountiful. David could recall countless times that he deserved God's wrath, but he was forgiven by God. And he was restored by God time and again because of God's gracious nature. Saints, can you rejoice like David in the midst of your distress? I hope you can. I want you to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that. I want us to be able to do that because if we think about what God has done for us, we should be able to do that. The Lord has dealt bountifully with us by his grace. He's given us well beyond what we deserve. I think as distressed and weary saints, we should find rest in this. In verse 7 and verse 8. Look at verse 8. He tells his soul, he speaks to his soul in verse 7. Hey soul, rest. God has given you more than you ever could deserve. For you have delivered my soul from death. Well, it hadn't happened yet. He's still hiding from his son Absalom. What's he talking about? Well, his soul was despairing, but his confidence was granted to him as he turned to God that I have you in my hand and nothing will remove you from my hand. Saints, by God's grace, we can now rejoice with David here. He knew that his deliverance was coming. We know that our deliverance has came. The Lord Jesus Christ, the true king, of God's people, has come. He came to deliver us from eternal death by dying in our place and rising in victory to set captive souls free from sin's curse. God inclined himself to deliver us from eternal distress. That is good news for the weary this morning, is it not? But I want you to notice something before I finish. I want you to notice that David is, is not through expressing joy in Psalm 116, 8a. It goes on into 8b. David proclaims that it is not just his soul that has been delivered from distress. Notice that. He says, now by, by God's design, something else is taking place. His mind is at rest. His mind is comforted by recalling how gracious and righteous and merciful our God is. Look at verse 8b. David says, going back to you have delivered, you have delivered my eyes from tears. Well, the eyes here are in reference to his mind. What happens when you are sorrowful? What happens when you are afraid? Your tears begin to flow from your eyes because it's related to your mind. You have delivered my eyes from tears. Now, friends, this can be your song today, even in your distress. It can be your song. Your, your tears of sorrow can be turned into tears of joy if you have fixed your eyes on and rest in Christ's righteous and gracious and merciful work at the cross. If you do that, your tears of sorrow over sin can now become tears of joy over God's delivering grace. When you cry out to the one who is eager to save you from distress, the distress of your soul, just understand what he's saying. When you do that, God will deliver you. He will grant you forgiveness. He'll grant you peace. He'll even comfort your mind in the midst of distress if you turn to him in faith. Psalm 116.8c, David moves even beyond in this aspect of rejoicing over God's deliverance. He says, you have delivered my feet from stumbling. <laughs> this verse is extremely comforting to me. It's, it's comforting because here I think David is expressing his trust, not in God to just get him out of this mess, 
But he is trusting in God's persevering grace or his preserving grace, which points to the future. Through David, we see that that true believers here may may fall and they may fail, but never completely because our feet are anchored by God's sovereign grace and there is future blessings to come. And God's not going to drop us now when he has promised to keep us for eternity. He is with us presently and he will preserve us to the end if you truly believe. And David's basically here expressing the same New Testament hope that Jude expressed. Go with me to Jude 24 and 25. If you don't know where Jude is, it's right before Revelation. Listen to this. This sounds like what David is hoping in and comforted by. Now to him, speaking of God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, there's a present assurance based on the nature of God in the past, and there is a future assurance that God is going to carry him through to the end, and he will not stumble. He will persevere. He may fall and he may fail, but never completely. Now, that's a great comfort to me because I fail and I fall. And so do you. But God is for us. He is hearing us when we cry out. As we turn to him in humility, he is bringing us back to this reality to comfort us that I am not going to forsake you. I will be with you in the midst of the flame for your good and for my glory. We see that concluding in Psalm 116. Look there with me. 116.9. David is now joyfully proclaiming This reality that there is a future grace and God has heard him now and there is something in the future that God has kept for him for all eternity. He says, I will. What an important phrase. I will. This is a faith statement. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This confession reminds us. That there is a future promise. There is future grace for the weary. Now understand, that doesn't mean he's going to take away the distress immediately. Many of our distresses are self-inflicted. There are consequences related to them. But God will not forsake us in the midst of them. God will walk with us in the midst of this distress, this despair that we presently deal with. And he's telling us here that God will walk with us eternally. In a land where distress will cease, we are his people, and we will be with him. And he hears us now when we cry out for help. I know that we will be with him, and we will go through distress before we get there. And I know that he's going to remove that distress because of what it says in Revelation 7. Go there with me lastly. Revelation 7, verse 9 These saints were going through distress. But look at this future promise, this future grace for the weary that's testified to here in this passage. They will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And so will we. if We trust in him. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they came from? I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation, great distress 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's future grace. Distress will cease. The God who sees us going through distress will bless us one day by removing all of those things that trouble us. That is our promise from God. And I pray that helps you in the way you pray as you face distress in this life. I pray that this future promise of peace and God's design for distress will work together to humbly and joyfully comfort you when you face these difficulties today or tomorrow. And they could come extremely fast. In the meantime, I pray that the Lord will turn any distress, any despair that you're dealing with now, I pray that he will turn those ashes to beauty and he'll turn your mourning to gladness as you rest in his mercy and grace today. Let's pray for that. God, you have heard our cries for help. Lord, you heard us before we even cried out with our voice. When our hearts were broken over sin, we could not cry out on our own. You interceded for us. You sent your son to take our place. You sent your spirit to be our comforter. You are with us presently in the times that we go through that we have to face distress and anguish. God, we pray that in those times our hearts would see your design, that we would rest in your character, that we would turn to you for help and humble ourselves so that you would be glorified even in the midst of distress because we have hope that one day you will remove all distress from our lives so that we may be able to see Jesus clearly as you wipe away those tears. We pray that you would be honored and glorified as we meditate on these things in Jesus' name. Amen.